Hey, and welcome to Real Talk with Lacey, the show where we chat to successful people about their rise to success, their struggles to get there, and real life experiences. Expect some full on gossip, deep convos, and real talk. So on today's episode, I have Will Manning joining us. He's known for hosting the late morning show across Capital Network between 10am and 1pm. He also hosts the official Big Top 40 on Sundays across Capital and Heart. He hosted the Jingle Bell Ball at the O2 and is also known for a mental health advocate and a qualified pilot, which not many people might know, but you are actually also a qualified pilot. We'll also get into that a bit later. So I'm so excited to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, let's start right at the beginning. And okay. How did you get to where you are now as a capital presenter? How long is how long have we got? Because this is a long story. Um, however <laughs> long you need. I will. Yeah, I try. I always try and give it like the streamlined version, just so okay. I don't bore people. Because there's so <laughs> many elements to how I got to where I am right now. Okay. Uh, it's really interesting actually speaking to other people who does who do what I do because nobody's got the same story. So that's what I think is quite yeah. unique about getting into the media, but I'm sure we're touching that anyway. So yeah, my story was basically I just had this obsession with music um, since forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mum would drive me around in the car. I'd have Capital on, I'd have Kiss on, and I would just be like fascinated that people would talk in between songs. Okay like as a job. And I was like, this is insane. And they'd be playing like my favorite songs as well. And I'm like, so hang on a sec, people are playing my favorite songs on the radio and having a laugh and getting paid for it. This is ridiculous. That's so, perfect. Exactly. So it just became this obsession of mine that I would one day get on the radio. And I, would, I was probably about six, seven wow. at this point. And uh, my dad, to kind of kick the fascination for me, bought me a karaoke machine where you could put cassettes in and I would record me through the microphone and then turn the mic onto my CD player and play a song and it would pick it up through the mic and play it through the tape and that's the only way I knew how to record things <laughs> um, and I would do that for a very 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 long time that was my only outlet to like talking and sounding like I was on the radio and then my mum this is when I was about 10 years old. My mum was working at a school and they needed someone to play music for the kids during this like school fete. Uh, so my mum asked if I would do it. And I had a friend at the time who was also quite fascinated with music. So I said, hey, mate, do you want to do this like gig, I guess, together? Um, uh, we just got to play some songs. So he brought one CD player. I brought another. We had some very basic disco lights. We had a bubble machine and we set it up in this school like hall and we played music for about two hours and then at the end of it they gave us 20 pounds each (laughs) and I just I remember so vividly thinking oh my word as if I've just been paid paid to do this like all those people on the radio that I heard having fun playing music getting paid I'm now nearly there yeah I'm not on the radio but I'm playing music and getting paid for it this is ridiculous and then I thought well, hang on, if I ditch my mate, I'll get the 40 quid, not the 20 quid. So um, basically, that was my first and last gig with him. 
And from then on, I just did loads and loads and loads. Like I'm talking hundreds of school discos and kids parties when I was probably about 10 to 16, I did those. And I would just, you know, use my money and invest it again in equipment and and, uh, stuff in my bedroom and lighting and stuff like that. And then I moved into club DJing. I became really fascinated with hip hop and R&B. I kind of had it in my mind that I would be this big hip hop and R&B DJ and have a mix show on KISS. That was my big dream, probably when I was about 12 to 13. Big, big mix show on KISS. Um, And I put a video up on Facebook of me doing some turntablism, which is essentially like scratching on decks. A lot of skill and technique, which I learned basically from listening to other DJs. And this guy from the BBC had seen it and invited me in to do a pilot for Radio One. And we spent about six months developing this pilot as a, as a, for a mix show. Uh, we presented it to the BBC. Their sister station, One Extra, heard it and said, we'd like to take Will on as a cover guy for when our presenters are sick or on holiday. Mm-hmm. And I was 15 at the time. Wow. Never done professional radio. In those few years before, I'd done a lot of pirate. I'd done a lot of internet radio. I had my own internet radio stations that I did for my bedroom as well. So there were so many little bits of radio, but I'd never been on the actual radio. So the actual radio. A national radio station, the BBC. I was 15. They were going to pay me and everything. So I'm like, yeah, let's let's do it. And I did that for, for a good year and a half um, until they kind of sat me down and were like, this is not working out the way I oh. thought it would work out. You're not you know, developing in, in the way that we thought you would um, for us to be able to offer you an actual show of your own. And I was absolutely heartbroken. I bet you were. I was really young. I, you know, I thought that this was my big into the industry. I had no idea how else to get into the industry. And at the age of, I think I was about 17 then, my dream, as I knew it, had come crashing down and I thought it was all over. So, I mean, luckily for me, I was at college. I went on to uni, mm-hmm. but I was really, really struggling. I was having a horrible time at university. I thought my career was over and I was really, really struggling to kind of think, how the hell do I actually get my career back on track? Like, how do I do this? Yeah. So I saw an advert online. I told you this was a long story, by the way. I saw an advert <laughs> online um, from this uh, media group called Bauer, who owned Magic and Kiss and Planet mm-hmm. Rock and Kerrang. And they had this national station called The Hits Radio, which mm-hmm. was based out of Manchester. It was on Freeview. Um, it had like a huge following online for like a very young audience. And they were looking for a new Sunday night presenter. It was free work, but it would mean that I would go in and record it in the building that Kiss FM was in. And the year previous, yeah, well the year previous, I'd done work experience at Kiss and met everybody on the team. I was there for a week, just like sorting out presenters post and booking taxis and stuff. So I knew the people and I'd done a a lot of harassing on MySpace. So all the people knew my face and they knew my name. I'd done a lot of pestering. So I thought one day after I'd recorded a hits radio show, I would go down and introduce myself and sort of say hi again, basically. And the boss remembered me and asked to hear my hits radio shows. So I sent them to him. He replied and said, would you like to cover a show at the weekend on Kiss in a few weeks? And when I say that Kiss was like the dream station for me to work on when I was younger, I was losing my... Oh my gosh. I actually can feel it for you. I actually feel like... Oh my, like I've just gone that do that story. I feel proud to proud of you. Like, oh uh, yes, like you got it. Yeah. Well, it was just because, like I said, it was like, how do I ever get yeah. back there? 
But I realized I'd put myself in a position and a situation where I'd open a door for me and I just fully took advantage of that door being left open a little bit and completely, you know, bit their hand and took the opportunity, covered a weekend show. Then they offered me a permanent two weekends, uh, two weekend show. So I did a Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Uh, at the same time, the Hits Radio offered me a drive show. So I was living in Manchester Monday to Friday. I traveled down the M6, do my weekend shows on Kiss, Monday morning, back up in the wow. car. So I was doing that for about a year until eventually Kiss offered me the evening show. So I moved back down to London and I was doing um, five days a week on Kiss evenings. Had, had a number one show. Uh, and then five years ago, Capital gave me a phone call and uh, basically poached me and took me on for London Drive. And that's how I got to Capital. They just literally called me five minutes before my show on Kiss. Oh my gosh. Which I thought was a prank phone call because it was an unknown number. It was a guy that I didn't know the name of, but he was one of the very high up management. And he texts me being like, um, Google my name. <laughs> I'm from Global. And I Googled him and I was like, as if I just hung up on a guy called Mike Osborne. It oh was like a really, a really big deal. He poached talent. He looked for new talent to bring to Capital and bring to Global Stations. Uh, anyway, we did six months of basically the contract negotiations. And then I, I signed and best move I've ever made. And now best, I've been at Capital was history. five years in June. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, the, that's the long 14 years. Wow. Condensed down in a few minutes for you. So it's been an insane journey of, of radio and DJing. And I've been lucky to only ever do that since I was 10 years old. And you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's brought me a flat. It's brought me my dream. It's brought me my lifestyle. So I'm, I'm really, really grateful. I like, stuck with it. Definitely. Well, there's so many things I want to um, pick out from what you said, even just from kind of how, like how you got there. Um, so let's say someone's listening and they're at the moment, they're at the point where they've just got that rejection like you did from the BBC. Yeah. What's kept, so obviously you went to uni and you're thinking, oh, you know, what am I going to do? But what kept that drive going what what made you apply for that job that you saw in the advert thinking am I good enough because that's that's a hard thing to do to get rejected and then go and apply for a a big a big thing what yeah kept you going to think I'm going to apply for that it number one was self-belief like I honestly thought I had it in me to be you know it sounds cocky saying out I I think I have it in me to be one of the best broadcasters in the UK and I deserve my my shot at doing it I wasn't right at the time for the BBC it was I was very very young I wasn't living the lifestyle of that audience it wasn't the right station fit for me but I knew I had it in me to do this this is all I'd ever done and there was no way I could turn my back on it not only because I believed in myself but also because I had no other skills really like (laughs) I'd gone to school and I'd done uni and I'd you know, I'd got my degree, but really I knew that this was what I was born to do. It would sound so cheesy, but I no, completely no. believe that I am here to talk crap on the radio <laughs> six days a week and play yeah. like tunes. That is what I'm here for. And I was like, I, I just have to give this a shot. There's no way I can I can give up on this dream. And, you know, you meet people along the way who are like, God, oh, you're really good. Like, wow, you, you were made to do this. And then you're like, well, but how have I not got a job then? So you sort of yeah. go back to those people in your head thinking, right, they said it, 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 it's, it's a thing that I should be doing. I believe it's a thing I should be doing. I have to just believe that eventually this is all going to work out. And people used to say to me when I was 16 and I'd been ditched from the BBC that um, I shouldn't give up because I was really, really close to, honestly. They were like, look, you're, you're 16. There's no way yeah. your career's over. Your career has barely started. 
Yeah. Um, but I was really rushing life. I thought it has to happen right now. And if it's not happening right now, then it's never going to happen. But I, I learned then that you just have to wait for your time. And if it's meant to be, it will happen. And you just have to stick with that belief that it will. And luckily I did. Because if I gave up, I mean, God knows what I'd be doing now. But <laughs> I don't think I'd be anywhere near as happy as I am. That's for sure. No, I think a lot of it is self-belief because it's so easy. Even not even just getting knockbacks like work-wise, if people are saying you can't do this, you can so easily listen to that and just give up. Whereas if you really kind of train, like even training your mind to think, actually, I can do this. If you have that passion and that self-belief, that's going to take you a long way because that will give you that courage to that gave you that courage to apply to that. If you didn't have that self-belief then, and like you said, Oh, I don't want to sound cocky. I think a lot of people are scared to have self-belief because they think, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm going to come across not being humble, but actually no, have that belief. And, and, and it's really, really good that you did because look where you are now. Yeah. It carries you such a long way. And I've had that self-belief since, Day one of me getting the school bus and we'd have Kiss on and I used to say to my friends, I used to turn to them and say, that guy talking, that is going to be me one day. And I would be laughed at and rightly so. Like, you're going to yeah. laugh at that if someone yeah. says that to you. you go, yeah, of course, <laughs> whatever. Like, you're going to do Kiss Drive. Yeah. And then, like, I must have been seven years later, I was covering that Kiss Drive show. And that same school bus would have had me on and other school kids would have heard me. And it's just like a mad 360. But yeah, without that self-belief, I would definitely not be here right now. So you've got to have it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you, you've you got to have the, the, the talent there as well. You can't just have the self-belief. You've got to have the fundamental skills and, um, and, and drive to push you through as well. Um, but obviously, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. And you've got to present yourself in such a way that someone's going to look at you and go, I believe in this person. So much though, I'm going to give them an opportunity. Like if I went down to that Kiss office, recorded my hits radio show, and I was a little bit shy, a little bit bashful, there's no way that have, have given me a shot. Even if I did sound good, they'd have been like, this guy is just not cut out for it. They probably wouldn't have even asked to hear the stuff because they'd have seen the way I presented myself and thought, nah, probably not. <laughs> so yeah, you've got to be shoulders back. You've got to be confident in yourself that, yeah, I'm good enough for this. Definitely. So taking that then the other way, what was that moment when you got that phone call and was like, uh, we'd really like you to come on or even on to Capital when you kind of went through your whole journey? What was that phone call like when you realised, shit, I've done it. Like, I've got Capital. Like, what was that like? Well, it was amazing on so many levels because A, it's Capital and it's the biggest commercial radio station in the UK, if not the world. Ever. Um, um, and also I was in a really, really, really bad place at the time during my kiss show. I was not enjoying it at all. I was, I was doing that evening show for about a year and a half, maybe even two years. And I was really struggling with the hours and the social aspects of it. I was living at home with my parents. I think I was 20, 24, 23 when I started that show. Um, and I really struggled with the whole starting at 7 PM thing because I would get off the tube at Oxford Circus and everybody would be walking the other way at 5.30. They'd all be going home and I'd be going to work after a day of sitting around at my parents' house doing absolutely nothing with myself. Um, and I wouldn't be able to see my friends. It was just, it was really, really tough. So I really struggled with the, um, with the social aspect and I was trying to keep a relationship afloat at the time, but I would get home at 11 p.m. and she'd be up at like six for her job. So mm -hmm. we'd have like an hour before bed to see each other. So I was in I was I was in a position where I was really really 
looking to move on from that show. Um, and I'd kind of aired that at the time to the management at KISS, um, but I obviously didn't have any options to really kick up too much for a fuss because I wasn't in a position where I could leave. Yeah. So it was kind of like a saving grace. It was like, okay, this is this is meant to be this phone call. This is here for a reason. Um, so I was, I was super, super grateful. And then they kind of gave me the opportunity to say which show I wanted to go to as well, which was wow. like unheard of. Um, but yeah, they, they were like, where, where do you want to be? at Capital and I was like I want to get London home I want to be that guy who's on in the car at 4 p.m I want to be that drive guy that I used to listen to on my school bus and so they um they gave me the shot of doing it wow I bet that was a, a moment in your career where you thought everything that had gone through and having that setback at BBC and then going to uni I bet you really thought wow okay uh, yeah yeah that that yeah. I can feel that moment for you I'm like wow <laughs> Yeah, I remember the phone calls. I remember, you know, it being like 6.30 and I'd have half an hour before I was going live on my KISS show and I'd be outside that KISS building in Golden Square in Soho. The management at Capital would be on the phone to me, you know, trying to negotiate contracts and going, oh, we can do this, but we can't do that. And I'd be like, oh, is this ever going to happen? It was a long process. It was six months of trying to get this this deal over the line. And I and I at some point thought it wasn't actually going to happen. So it was, it was a stressful stressful time in my life but yeah the, the day that I signed that contract I was just like oh bring it on and then I had three months off and, and got to go around America and Bali and stuff and just enjoy myself and and know that a, a new chapter was coming my way and it was going to be a, a fun one so what was your first show like what was your first show what was what was that like waking up on that morning thinking wow I've I'm on capital now what was that like yeah I don't remember the day, really. I don't remember waking up. I rem- I remember the show. I was really, 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 really nervous. I I have actually heard back the show quite recently. Oh. Someone sent me a link on Twitter. I don't know how they found it. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's an interesting listen. I don't think I got very good at being on Capital for a good year. I think it took me quite a while to to find my voice and find who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was it was terrifying, really scary. <laughs> Knowing that not only is London listening to you, you're a brand new kid on a huge station, so the pressure's on, and you know that all the all the big bosses at Global are, are really listening to like who's this new kid that we've just signed as well. So it's it's a lot. It's a, it, you're under the microscope for quite a while yeah. when you join a station like that. Definitely. Um, so leading up to that success and, you know, you've clearly done amazing on Capital. Um, did you ever experience kind of any, apart from BBC setbacks, I'm talking more personal, um, like friends or family kind of giving you any judgment about what you're doing or have you ever experienced any negative side there's a lot of stuff on social media of trolling and especially young people putting their work out there whether you're whether you're a dj or and and friends taking the mick out of it or getting online trolling did you ever experience kind of any of that and even if you did or didn't how would you get over how would you give advice to people that are yeah, I, I didn't I didn't really experience trolling online because when I first started out, Twitter was not a thing. It was just starting out when I was on the BBC in 2009, but it wasn't a thing that people used to have a go at people. Uh, my family, they've always been super supportive. They've never, if I was speaking to my dad about this the other day, they've, they never doubted it. They backed me the whole way. My family, my friends, they've always backed me. It was more the friends of friends 
Okay. That would ask, so what do you do? And I'd be like, I'm a DJ. And I was like 13, 14, and we'd, you know, meet up at house parties or whatever. And it would be it would be those moments where people would be like, Oi mate, this guy thinks he's a DJ. Look at him. And he'd be like, How are you a DJ? Because you know, the way I dressed at the time, I don't know, just just something about me. People just didn't quite believe that I could possibly be doing the job that I'm doing. So I would I would actually get it ripped out of me on uh, on a a regular basis from friends of friends and I think a few of my friends were a bit like all right mate you're a DJ but what are you going to do to pay a mortgage like how are you actually gonna you know fund your life so I think and, and that's understandable because it's it's an industry that if you're not in it it's almost impossible to get your head around and understand how that can be a real job and how it actually works it's very hard to explain to someone how the media industry works as an actual job so I think a lot of my friends who just do nine to five in offices just couldn't really get their head around me making it in the industry. Um, but I never had severe trolling apart from when I joined Capital. It was it was it was quite bad sometimes. You know, there's not specific cases that I can point out, but people just feel like they can have their say. Yeah, they do and they go for it I, I do you know I, don't, I haven't had it in a good few years and I, I make a point of not really reading my Instagram DMs anymore there's the odd day where I do dip in and see messages and that makes me go I'm not going to read these for, for a few weeks now there's just I, some things you just don't want to see in there uh, but luckily people on Twitter were, during my show are quite respectful and we don't really get much hate sent in as a, as a I mean, speaking personally, I don't really get much hate sent in anymore. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really tough to deal with. You, again, to deal with it, you just have to brush it off and be like, I'm, I'm here for a reason. I'm the one doing this job. I honestly believe a radio presenter's job is something that everyone would want to do if they knew if they knew how to. Like, who wouldn't want to do this job? So I'm like, if, if you're so good, you'd be here right now. But it's not you, mate. It's me. So shut up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, definitely. It's, it's true. I think a lot of it is... Um jealousy or a lot of people you know within their themselves that think oh I want to be a capital DJ but I don't have the confidence to but you know look at Will he's got the confidence to it and then it kind of becomes they're angry at you because you've got mm. the confidence and they yeah. don't and then how dare somehow you? How dare yeah you be so confident in something that I want to be confident in totally <laughs> yeah there is that for sure for sure definitely um I think wrapping that up in terms of the trolling side um if people are listening and they are experiencing any trolling in terms of what they want to do or any like banter that, you know, young kids are giving them, just keep going and ignore that. Because if you believe in yourself, like we were talking about self-belief earlier, if you believe in yourself, you can get there and keep going. I think that's super, super important. And then leading on to that, um, I want to take to another side of your career, which is actually the mental health, because a lot of people don't realise that you're a really big mental health advocate. Um, you have lots of connections. I saw you on a mental health podcast. I think it was you were a couple of months ago or um, with a really amazing man called Dan Draper, who does uh, lots of male mental health uh, chat shows and things like that. Um What's your experience been with mental health, kind of your journey? I know you've kind of had lots of ups and downs with your mental health. What's it been like for your journey personally in, in terms of discovery of mental health? Mm. Uh, yeah, it, it was a discovery, actually, because I didn't realise that I'd ever... Well, I didn't sort of realise how I could tap into my mental health until I was going through a bad spell in my life. And I was like, oh, I think this is 
this is affecting my mental health, which means I am struggling with my mental health. It's a really weird one to try to break down, but I had honestly never really experienced any form of mental health problems that I was aware of until I had a really bad breakup about three years ago. And it just kind of knocked me and stunned me to the point where I didn't know how to function as a, as myself for quite a considerable amount of time for about seven months. I was just like, not, not with it, not myself at all. And that's when I was like, okay, I think I'm really, really struggling here. This is a mental health issue. This is not just, oh, he's going through a really shit breakup. This is, he's actually struggling. He's going through some form of depression. He's anxious. I'm talking about myself in the third person here, but this is what my friend would be saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was, it was a breakup, but actually thinking back to my, to my days where I was 15 and, you know, getting ditched by the BBC and I was really down about that, that must've been a level of mental health struggle as well, but it just wasn't something that anybody had talked about. I'd never even heard the words mental health before. That was just not a thing that anybody mentioned. So I, I must've struggled then. And I had a, like I said, a really bad time at uni as well. I was really badly bullied for my first year of uni. Um, um, and, and that, that would have, obviously affected my mental health but again I hadn't recognized it as a mental health issue because no one had said you're struggling with your mental health it wasn't pointed out in black and white it was just you're having a really bad time so I didn't really recognize it as a mental health thing but yeah it, it was a breakup that that made it happen and um and I've and I've learned over the last three years how to cope with that how to recognize the signs how to allow myself to wallow in self-pity um, because I think that's really important as well. You're allowed to feel shit, actually. That's completely okay. Um, everyone always talks about how you toughen up and get through it. And actually, sometimes you're allowed to just have a, a cry. That's completely fine. Uh, so yeah, it's been a real journey. And it's something that I um, am, like you said, super passionate about talking about because I just don't hear my guy mates talking about it enough. And it really frustrates me. If I see a mate who's upset, I'm like, dude, just admit you're really struggling. It's like, no, 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 I'm fine. No, you're not. And it's it's okay to not be okay. Um, so yeah, I try, I try and talk about it as much as I can without sort of ramming it down people's throats. Cause there's, there's a fine line, isn't there? There's a balance. Yeah. Get right. Definitely. Definitely. And what you're saying about, um, male point of view that there is, there is still unfortunately so much stigma around phrases like man up and things like that. Mm. And, and not, not accepting that men can get upset and especially the younger, I think male audiences, um really struggle with with talking with their male mates um because it's just not something that men are seen to do uh you kind of always stereotype that women are more emotional and things like that but actually men are too and it's okay and I don't think there's enough of that um it's not it's not normalized enough yet and having totally. people like you who people do look up to you and thinking, look, Will's talking about it. Well, so can we, so can us boys on the rugby pitch can talk about it as well. I think that's so important um, for any male audiences listening at the moment, thinking that they can't reach out or that it's not normal what they're going through. Actually it is. And it's okay. Just because you're a man doesn't mean it, it, your feelings are not unvalid at all. Completely. I think that's so Completely. important. Um, yeah. Any male listeners that are listening right now, what would your advice be to them if they're struggling with anxiety or they don't want to reach out to their male mates or they don't feel comfortable enough? Could you give them any advice on how to reach out? Because a lot of people just don't know how. But how do you reach out? Yeah, I mean, if I think about my my personal experience, I mean, I'm very lucky to have incredible female friends around me. Like, to be honest, apart from about 
a handful of guy friends all my best mates are girls I've got about 15 really really strong females in my life and I'm super super happy to have that because they know the right things to say a lot of the time they feed me with the right things to say uh, in many situations but I think yeah for a guy it can be like oh I don't really I, I know what I'm feeling to an extent but I don't know how to actually say it and yeah my guy mates might judge me I think for me though I was that guy who kind of held it in it took my friends taking me out for a lunch to be like okay you're not yourself what's wrong and when you're confronted with a question like what's wrong or why aren't you being you is there something on your mind you can't really hide from it and it just allowed me to to say it so I was fortunate enough my friends to actually put me in that position they cornered me so I can only imagine it must be very very tough if you feel like you can't but I would say find your closest friend because if, if they're your friend, they're never, ever going to judge you. And, and if they do, they're not your true friend. You're, but your real friends are never going to judge you for what you have to say. And they will stick by you. And hopefully it will actually help them as well. Like seeing someone open up is actually very inspiring to your friends. I've had a friend recently who opened up to me about something she was feeling. And I was like, wow, you actually, you inspire me. To, to make me a better person because you seeing you talk like that makes me want to be even more open than I already am. So you can, you could help the conversation by speaking to your mate. Cause who knows that person might also be struggling that you speak to and you might inspire them to also speak out. So it's a, it's a domino effect that we're trying to get the, we're trying to get going. We're trying to get that, that chain moving amongst men. Definitely. And again, that's why I created this show because people can listen and go, okay, well, Will's talking about it or Alacy's talking about it. Look, it's just really normal. They're just having a chat about it. Okay, I'm going to go chat with my mate about it. Yeah. And I want it to be as normal as what are you having for dinner? I've said this so many times. I want people to say, you know, people go, what are you doing today? What are you having for dinner? By the way, how are you feeling? And I don't want it to be how you're feeling. I want it to be how are you feeling? It's so important that people just say how they're feeling that day. And get it off your chest. You, it's not something you should bottle up. It's just not healthy. Definitely. It will catch up with you. Yeah. And it affects so many other things like your career. And if you're feeling low about yourself, then you're not going to have that self-belief that we talked about earlier. You're not going to have that. And it affects so much where if you just reach out, like you said, taking um, someone for lunch, it's a really good idea. Taking them out or going for a walk at the moment or whatever, yep. you know, doing as much as you can and asking direct questions that you might feel scared to ask now. But once you said it, just say it and, and, and see what happens. And like you say, if they are true friends, they will listen and work out what's going to happen. Yeah. And you're right. It does affect things. I was just thinking then about when I was going through that breakup, trying to do a radio show every day you know it's it, people don't think about i mean this is not a pity story here not but people don't think about how hard it actually is to be entertaining when you actually feel shit the last thing you want yeah. to do is go into work and entertain millions when you can't even make yourself happy and there was a there was a point where i was uh i, I remember crying into my breakfast one morning before work thinking I, I, I can't i can't go and do a radio show in, in a few hours time this is just not even possible i mean i did go and do it and God, I don't remember those shows because I was just an autopilot. And luckily enough, I, I've been doing it long enough where I can just put the microphone up and say things in the right order with a smile on my face. And it sounds good, but I'm not doing the job to the best of my abilities. Definitely. So I owed myself to have that chat so I could actually help myself in, in my job as well, not just in my head and my personal life. Yeah. And when you were going through that, you probably, when you were crying into your zero, you probably didn't realise that it was affecting it as much as, as it was. You probably just thought, oh, I'm just feeling low and I'm just doing rubbish at my job at the moment. But you yeah. didn't realise that actually 
no, this is serious. And as soon as I go and talk to my mates or do something about it, then it'll make my job better, more enjoyable. And I won't be crying into my cereal anymore. Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough to have, I mean, one of my best friends is my producer and he was in the studio with me the whole way through that breakup. And he was the one that took me to lunch with another presenter at Capital. And I was lucky enough that they were seeing the signs. They saw me every day. They, they, they noticed it. So I was lucky to have them seeing me on a daily basis to see how I normally am versus how I was then. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure colleagues and bosses would pick up on the same as, as much as they did. You know, they see you on a regular basis. Definitely. And I really want to touch, um, if it's OK with you, on your breakup, because I know that, like you've already said, that was such a big start to your mental health journey. And without that breakup, you probably wouldn't be where you are now in terms right. of your mental health and things like that. And there's a lot, again, of stigma about males when they break up with relationships and how women are the emotional ones and the men should just get on with it and or what, however the breakup happened or however it went it's always a stigma that the male should get over it and the, the female's the emotional one when actually people don't realize that obviously men get affected by breakups too so what would you say about any boys that are going through breakups at the moment or the whole stigma around men and breakups and, and how it affected you well it's the same as a mental health it's just so important to talk about it I think a lot of guys are like maybe embarrassed especially if they're the one that has been dumped and it's not something you really want to own up to is it in your friendship group really um but it it's life it happens and, and you've just gotta you just gotta embrace it and be able to talk about it in the same way um I would say that that breakup has actually kind of defined who I am now I'm really grateful for it because without that a, I wouldn't recognize my bad mental health days. And B, I wouldn't have picked myself back up and become the happy person I am I'm now. I'd have just been living in this kind of unhappy state that the relationship was in at the time. So it needed my ex to go, this is over. You're going to feel shit for about seven months. And I'm really sorry about that. But trust me when I say at the other end of it, you're going to feel so much better for it. So I actually, I owe her, I owe her that big time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's nothing to be ashamed about. And yeah, men don't talk about breakups enough. It's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, it is. I think I'm just such a heart on my sleeve kind of guy and I'm a very open book that, um, I've never really, uh, hid away from talking about relationship kind of things anyway. So I've, I've kind of been lucky in that sense. Again, having yeah. friends as girls, they've kind of allowed me to talk about stuff like that and feel like it's completely normal because obviously that's what girls do so much <laughs> I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm immersed in that kind of environment where I think this is just the norm anyway in terms of breakups definitely and me personally again I went through a breakup and I a million thousand percent would not be doing this interview right now if I had not had not gone through that at really? all um yeah oh yeah thousand percent um so I think if you're in the midst of a breakup right now just know that um you will get through it and everything happens for a reason and you don't know what's around the corner now that you're yeah. not with them anymore. You don't know what's around the corner. Definitely. Yeah. 
Um, so I want to go back to something more positive now and something more exciting, something that we haven't seen in a long time because of Corona, but we don't want to talk about that too much. But what was it like um, hosting the Jingle Bell Ball for you? Because obviously that's a huge moment in your career. Um, yeah. I'm a total fan of all that I've been to, all of the Jingle Bell Balls, absolutely adore them. But what was it like for you hosting that in the O2 with that audience? And again, take it back to your career. I bet that was a pinch me moment of going, look where I am. Were you there for the one I did? Yeah, definitely. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Uh, when was that? Twenty, yeah, twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Right? It was one of the um, yeah, because there wasn't one in twenty twenty. The was last there. one. It was the last yeah. one. No, it was when when the bosses told me that they wanted myself and Amy Vivian to host it. It was like a oh, I wish I could tell ten year old Will that this is going to happen because I used to go to those capital events when I was younger. My dad used to take me to them when he knew that I was obsessed with radio. Again, it was like let's go to the it was called Help a London Child at the time. Capital used to do events at Earl's Court in London. I would go every single year. So yeah, when they were like, you're going to host the ball this year, it was, it was an insane. Like, because I, I don't get that chance because breakfast do it, but Roman was in the jungle that year. It just kind of worked out nicely. I was like, I'm going to take this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really, really, really cool moment. Super exciting. Um, I have never felt so nervous about anything in my entire life. Like honestly, doing the Capital show, the first one, nowhere near as nerve wracking as going out onto that O2 stage. Like we had a, a run through on the day before the Friday I was like, I can't believe it's going to be like, I think it was 12,000 people. Can't believe it's going to be 12,000 people out here. And then we did the run through on the day. And I was just like, I feel so sick. Amy and I just kept looking at each other going, what is going on? And then, yeah, I remember the first day, the Saturday, when we were uh, got, being taken from our dressing rooms down to the stage, we were being walked down. And I had to have a moment where I was like, can I just stop? Because I, I need to just... I need to breathe basically <laughs> right now, my composure here. Uh, and then the, the thing is, it's terrifying when you're side of stage because, you know, Harry Styles is just about to go on or whatever. And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to introduce Harry Styles. And I know those fans are desperate to, to see him. I'm the bit in between. They're not really bothered about me, but you can hear the screams. You can hear the build up. You can feel the anticipation. And then you walk out and suddenly it's like, Ah, oh, nah, um, this is what I'm made to do. This is, I'm fine now. I'm absolutely fine. Once I'm out there, once yeah. I'm saying hello, O2, and I'm hearing the screams, don't, I don't want to get off. That's, that I just do not want to get off. But it's just all the build up and the anticipation before that. But it's a feeling like no other. I cannot describe how that feels. Uh, it's just unbelievable. It's, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, you can really incredible. hear your passion, um, the way you talk about it. And I bet you're dying to get back on to a stage and audiences yeah. and things yeah. like that. I mean, the industry's been hit massively in terms of that side. Um, but that I can imagine that feeling of of walking on thinking, this is what I'm made to do. And like you said, when you were, you know, 10 years old on that school bus going, I'm going to do this. That is, you walked on going, I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just... There's so many things that I've done where I'm like, yeah, this is 360. This is this is what this is why I carried on. This is why I believed in myself. I'm just ticking off things on that list, going, yep, yeah, done that now, done that now. So grateful for all these opportunities. And I'm just, I don't know, I've never really said it, but I'm kind of proud of myself just for just yeah. like sticking with it through through the last 14 years, probably about, I mean, nearly even nearly even 20 years now of yeah, it's been 20 years of sticking with it. 
and you should be proud of yourself so many people again like we said earlier I was speaking to um another guest I had on yesterday and he was going oh I feel weird to say I'm proud of myself but no why you should be proud of yourself because you know without I know you don't want to sound cocky and I I get that and and there's a fine line between being arrogant and being really annoying uh, and being really proud of yourself but you should be proud of yourself because you look at how far you've come and think yeah I've done that and um, again another thing I was talking about with another guest is that you don't really you're always kind of going on to the next goal and you don't stop and think about what you're doing now and you always think what can I do next what's my next thing but actually when you take a step back and look in the moment and think hang on a sec look what I've just done actually then you start to appreciate the smaller things and be much prouder of you be more proud of yourself and and that even creates a more positive mental health because instead of pushing yourself down oh well, my next goal is to do this actually stop and look and think look what I've just done and, and I bet that was a moment for you when you went on that stage and you walked off and went yeah. wow yeah totally and you're so right in saying that and I, I think in in the industry I work in in particular it is just like what's next what are you doing yeah. next because uh, that person's doing that but what I haven't seen you do something like that in a, in a, in a while or I haven't seen you do it at all it's like Oh God, am I am I falling behind? Am I even am I relevant? Am I doing the right thing? Should I give up? Is this it? Like there's just all those moments of self-doubt. And I do have to remind myself almost weekly, to be yeah. completely honest, almost weekly, that actually me doing a radio show six days a week is enough. I don't have to do more than that. I would love to. And I'm, you know, believe me, I'm working really, really hard to do more than that. But if that is it, then that's insane because that's all I ever set out to do. In yeah. fact, that's five times more than I set out to do. I set out to do one radio show and now I'm doing six of them a week. So yeah, yeah. there are all those moments where I really have to have a reality check and be like, well, shut up. Your brain <laughs> needs to switch off. Just allow yourself to be happy with where you are in this moment because otherwise you just end up beating yourself up constantly and it's, it's really, really, really unhealthy. Yeah. Um, and you've got to cut the noise out of the industry as well. You've got to cut out the pressure and what other people are doing and, Try not to compare yourself. I'm really, really bad for that. I, I do it all the time, but I, I'm trying to get better at not comparing myself because you've got to realize that everybody's situations are so different. Some people have a leg up. Some people have a, 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 a dad that works in the industry. Some people have yeah. a, a, lot, a lot of money, which speaks volumes. There's just so many factors that you just don't realize as to why someone's in that situation and position they are. I'm a guy who had a karaoke machine in my bedroom when I was six and I've managed to get onto capital and that's cool. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah. And you should be so proud of that. And we shouldn't tell people not to be proud of themselves or to continually, continually say, be humble, be humble. Yeah. Be humble, but also be proud of yourself because it's big achievements. And that's how you then get into the mindset of comparing yourself and thinking you're not good enough because you've not reached that goal or whatever. So if you are listening and you are feeling like, oh, I haven't reached that goal or I'm comparing myself to somebody else in the industry or they got the job over me, take a step back and think even applying for that job is big enough or even you don't, like you said, you don't know what situation that other person was in and actually just be proud of yourself for where you are now. I think that's super, super yeah. important. Totally, completely agree. Um, also, another topic I'd like to explore with you is um, social media because 
social media is huge at the moment. It's all about, you know, social media, whatever, especially during COVID and lockdown. A lot of people's, even my screen time is insane. And I'm looking at it and going, no, this needs to stop now. Because when you're bored, you just pick up your phone, don't you? And you scroll and, and things like that. Well, your social media, again, is a really positive place, I would say. If I go onto your social media, it's very positive and it's not a, I wouldn't go onto your page and compare myself to you. I, I just think your page is really positive. So, guys, if you're listening, go check out Will's Instagram. It's super positive. Um, but it's definitely a place where you express your um, kind of like your your um, piloting and plane flying and everything you've done like that. What was social media done for you in terms of either negative wise or positive? Well, the negative is, again, the comparing and seeing what everybody else is doing that's maybe younger than you or just escalated up the career ladder much quicker than you have. That's really, really tough. And I I try to limit myself on Instagram. Unless I've got a reason to be there, I try not to be on it. Again, screen time and just just for my own head, it's just not a really tough place to be can't it on instagram just like scrolling through can actually make or break your day i find so i try to i try so so hard to limit myself and i I try not to if i know something's going to trigger me i won't click on that person's page because i sometimes just don't want to see what they've done if that makes sense so i try and make a conscious decision to avoid things like that um but in terms of positive positive impact i mean it means i can connect with people that actually listen to the show and hear me and I, I I I love that because I I work in radio where I can't see anyone. Yeah. So unless I'm getting tweets and texts and Instagram DMs, I don't have any uh, you know a picture of who's listening and where they are and what they're doing with themselves and how they're feeling about the show. So when I do read messages occasionally on my DMs and see that I've made someone's day or just me saying hi to them on the radio has you know made their week. That that's the positive aspect for me. I, I absolutely love that. I love the the human connection. That's that's what my job's all about. Anyway, it's just about being connected with people through entertainment and, and trying to make them smile. So that's really lovely. And I try and do that through my stories as well. I just I'm a bit of an idiot, really. I just I just try and be myself. I yeah. I would never put anything up that I wouldn't say to my friends or say in real life. And I try and do the same for my radio show as well. If I wouldn't say it in real life, I wouldn't say it on the radio. So I just try and be myself throughout all my all my platforms and just hope that the best form of me comes out and people like it <laughs> um and hopefully yeah like you said that's very nice to be, hear you say that it's it makes you smile it's very kind yeah I definitely think it's a positive place and I think um people should take more responsibility of making their own social media positive place and if you're kind of what you're posting if you put it out there are you making someone's day or are you going to make that person look at that on Instagram and think, oh, okay, or compare yourself? So I think it's really important people take um, control over their own Instagram and think what you post out there, other people are going to see. Um, but it's definitely a place to be yourself. And talking about being yourself, I do want to ask you about um, your flying because you are yeah. a qualified pilot. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's, it is awesome. Flying is, um, it, it, I kind of discovered my passion for aviation, I guess you want to call it. It's going to sound very yeah. geeky when I talk about no, it. Um, but yeah, probably about the same time as I started loving music, because I lived over the flight path for Heathrow at oh, my, nice. uh, my old family house. And there was a little airfield near me as well. And all the propeller planes would fly over. And I'd just be like this, constantly looking up at the sky to the point where my dad was like, should I just take you to the airport to see the planes? And it would be like a Saturday morning tradition. He would take me 
to the local airfield or he'd take me to Heathrow and we just bless my dad. I mean, he was <laughs> done there for hours, just sort of, I'd learn all the planes. Really, really sad. Anyway, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to fly one day. Just, I didn't know if it was going to be a job or if it was going to be a hobby. Yeah. Um, and then when I was 13, my dad bought me a trial flying lesson from that airfield that he used to take me to down the road. And I absolutely loved it, but I, I was too young to start learning. Um, and it's really, really expensive. So my dad couldn't fund it. Um, and then in 20, 2012, I was like, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to give it a go. I think I did about seven lessons and then very quickly realized that I, again, couldn't afford to keep this up. It's like so expensive. And you, like mm -hmm. once you're in it, you really have to be in it. It's in like it. a, it's like learning to drive. You can't just dip in and out. You've got to commit to it. And then, I mean, not to bring this up again, but the breakup um, <laughs> made me think, how am I going to make myself happy? What do I want to do? I've got my dream job. I've got a great group of friends around me. Um, what what else can I do that's within my control? I was like, hang on a sec, flying. Why don't I start flying again? Yeah. I'm in a position where I can now afford to do it. I can go all the way with it. Let's just see what happens and make yourself happy. So yeah, I, I remember in, in, in January, 2018, mm -hmm. um, took myself to the airfield, spoke to an instructor, asked what I could do, how I could get going again. And yeah, we just went for it. And then in October last year, I finally took my skills test and passed. Awesome. I bet that was another great, huge achievement for you. I mean, my dad's a pilot. Um, is he? Mm, yeah, oh, he is. Oh, wow. Um, we can talk about Airline that after. Pilot. Uh, he flies private jets. Um, yeah, we can talk about that one after. Um, but um so I understand people's passions for flying and it's a really, really hard place to get into. Like you said, it's super expensive, but um, it's really nice that you kind of shared that on social media because people kind of see that other side of you, not just the casual DJ, you also have other passions. Yeah. And again, that's really important. I think so showing different sides of people and that's the, another positive side of, of social media um, where you can express kind of what you love and then people love that too. Yeah, it's. I think it, it was important for me to not be like, oh, look at me, I fly planes and I can afford to do something <laughs> that you can't do. Because it's like, it's a hobby that not many people do. Oh. Um, it's a fine line between showing off about it and being like, I'm really proud of the hobby that I've got. And I think it's pretty cool and unique. And if I'm able to Definitely. show you and let you into that world a bit, then I'm going to do it. Um, and yeah, it's just another string to my bow, isn't it? It's just something else that I, I can do. And I think people seem to enjoy it. I think it's quite cool. And it's 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 the obviously the best thing ever to just take a plane up for the weekend and take your mates out to the Isle of Wight and stuff for a little day trip. It's really cool. Yeah, I was about to say, do you take your friends and family out on it? Yeah. Yeah, my birthday in December, I took my friend my my family up to the Cotswolds. We had lunch. That is pretty cool. And I flew them back. And my dad texted me after. He sent me the sweetest text, being like, I'm so proud of you. Again, going back to I used to take you to the airport. You used to say you wanted to fly and you've just taken the whole family to lunch and back. And I, it's, it's one of those moments again, where you stop and go, I'm actually doing all right. Yeah. Doing all right here. Things are, things are going pretty well. Definitely. I think that is so important that like we keep saying to um, make sure you are proud of yourself. Even if, you, even if you have the smallest achievements, even though that's really big for you, even the smallest ones. Um, sure. So I want to talk to you a little bit also about, um, 
if I've got listeners that are wanting to be on Capital, I even I get, I mean, I'm not where I want to be, but even I get people messaging me saying, how do you get into what you do or things like that? What would you say? Maybe give 10 tips or tips and tricks for aspiring presenters or um, DJs and, and how you've got and what you would say or even advice to your younger self, you know, 10 year old Will thinking I want to do this. What would they be? The advice to my younger self would be stick with it and don't give up. That would be the okay. only bit of advice because if I gave up, I remember once I went for a job interview because my gigs were running dry and I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? There's no one wants to book. Again, I was probably about 14, right? I'm not getting booked for one weekend. I used to DJ out all the time and I went for an interview at Costa <laughs> and they didn't give me a job because I didn't know how to make coffee. Um, I'm just really <laughs> glad that they didn't give me that job because... Yeah. I don't know how long I'd have worked at Costa for if they did. And I don't know how, how I'd have got back onto the whole DJing side of things. So don't give up. Self-belief. The tips at the moment, for, in terms of if you want to get into radio, it's I, I, I actually don't know what I would do, to be completely honest, in 2021 trying to get into radio. If I'm being really, really honest, it's a brutal industry. It's an industry that is only getting smaller. Sounds mm. like I'm really scaring people off here, but it's an industry yeah. that's really, really small. <laughs> so actually, to get into radio now versus when I did... 15, 14 years ago, you have to be the best of the best. You have to be doing something that nobody else is doing. You have to be making waves. Is it on TikTok? Are you really, really um, passionate and well-known for a certain aspect, a USP that nobody else can bring to the plate? You've got to be good at something that nobody else is. Because at the moment, we've got loads and loads and loads. I'm talking thousands of radio presenters in the UK out of work because of nationalization of stations so it's it, it's it's super super tough you just got to be the best that you can possibly be and i think a lot of people like me when i was younger rush it they think i have done student radio now where's my job on radio one it's like mm -hmm. no you've put one bit of groundwork in you probably need to go and do another 10 years of groundwork now before you're actually given a job which is exactly what i had to go and do so i think don't rush it and just trust the process and it like i said if you're good enough and if you believe in yourself enough then you will get that job you just have to be even better now. The benchmark is just so high. It, it, it's, it, that's just the brutal reality of it. It's just such a tough industry to get into. It's just so yeah. small. Definitely. And But if you are listening and you've just gone, shit, I won't go for that radio job anymore. Keep no. going. Keep, Keep going. going. Yeah. And if you do... Because, uh, at the end well, of the day, there's got to be the next one of me somewhere. Like, I'm not going to be on Capital forever. So there's got to be the next one. And it, it could be you. Why can't it be you? Believe in yourself and be amazing and it will be you. Yeah, definitely. That's advice I'd also give too. Um, I think that's it, Will. I think I've got Great. everything I wanted to get out of you. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Um, yeah. Hopefully people listening have got a bit of um, advice and feel inspired to keep going. Everything we've touched on. Um, I think the main message from both of us is to keep believing in yourself and keep going definitely check out um will's instagram everything you're doing with mental health is really great thank you so much because you really really need it um and i'm not even saying that because you know i'm female and it's e easier for me but the male audience is listening they really need it so thank you on their behalf thank you for for doing that yeah i'm not going to stop that that's and i'm not going to stop until it's as normal as i want it to be i'm not sure when i'm going to know but i'll know You'll know. I don't think it will ever stop. It just has to be a continuous conversation, doesn't it, really? So, yeah. Definitely. Thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate it.